1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has a value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labour and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people, and especially of those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. All right, hello again. Um, let's, let's pray as we get into God's word. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. You've been so gracious to reveal it to us, that the things of God are not hidden, but are made clear to us through your Son and through your Spirit in the reading of your word. And as we read tonight, uh, we pray you'll please give us open eyes uh, and your word will speak to us uh, in, in the way that only God's word can. Amen. Stay in, in 1 Timothy, we'll come back to that in a moment, but I just want to read you a verse from the first chapter of Ephesians. Right? At the beginning of Ephesians, uh, Paul is uh, writing out a prayer that he prays for the church in Ephesus, uh, and, he, and he lists off all these things that he wants them to receive. Uh, from verse 18, Ephesians 1, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, uh, the riches of his glory glorious inheritance in his holy people and this, ready, his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he says this, verse 19, that power that's for us is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. The power that's available to us is the same as the mighty strength that God used when he raised Christ from the dead. That's pretty powerful, right? Uh, The power that's in us through the Holy Spirit is the same power that he used when the dead body in the grave got up and walked and moved again. That's exciting. I just want to ask you, though, is that your experience? Is it your daily experience where you're just like, the power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive and active in me today? You can raise your hand if you want. Um... It may not be, right? It may not be. Uh, and, and in a world where we, where we constantly ask the question, especially of, of religions or ideologies, is, uh, the question is, does this work? Does this work? Is it useful? Uh, we, we turn to Christianity, our faith, and we say, does it work? Is it useful? Apparently there is this power that raised Christ from the dead that's in us, for us, available to us. Is it working? If anything like me... Uh, and I preach this from a place of humility because I, I feel this, right? Uh, you'd admit that sometimes your spiritual life is stagnant, or at least not what you'd like it to be. You might read the Bible and, and pray, but you sometimes feel like you're just going through the motions. You know, I better do it because I'm a Christian and it's what I should do. Um, you know you should go deep with God, but really you can't be bothered, Right? Like, I know I should, but there's no real desire there to do it. Uh, maybe you get more excited about other things than God. Or maybe you get more excited about everything else but God. And in a way, rest assured, because it's common, but common's not good, right? Common doesn't mean it's right. Common doesn't mean that it's okay. If people are feeling spiritually lax or lazy or uh, incomplete, uh, that's, that's not a good thing. It's a sad reality that most of us aren't making the most out of our faith. 
Uh, scripture tells us that as Christians, we should expect a vibrant faith, a faith that works. Uh, uh, but often, the reality is the opposite, right? And in a world that's constantly asking, does it work? Is it useful? Is it helpful? Is, is it working in your life? What's that say about Christianity? Well, I reckon it says nothing about Christianity. And it says nothing about Jesus. It says nothing about the power that's available to us. Um, I agree with author G.K. Chesterton uh, when he says this, right? The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. This isn't just talking about non-Christians, right? This is talking about people who are professing Christians, who who are believers, who have put their trust in Jesus. They know they're saved. They have regulations. They understand that salvation comes through faith and grace and but the ideals found within, ah, it's all right. I'll just sit on my ticket to heaven, thank you. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And hand on heart, how many of us can actually say we've really tried? That we've really tried to focus and tap into the power uh, that raised Christ from the dead that is available to us? And please don't see this as a guilt trip, right? Because like this... I wrote this sermon yesterday because I just couldn't. Because I'm like, you're just a hypocrite. How are you going to preach this, right? Uh, and so God was speaking to me through this whole time. So as I, as I throw these things out there, please understand that I'm, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm preaching to us uh, and opening God's word to try to challenge us. And that's what this passage challenges us with today, right? Because the good news is there is a way forward. We don't have to be stagnant. We don't have to be lazy. We don't have to just float along in our Christian life. And as we've probably all experienced at different times, you can experience that power that rose Christ from the dead. And so let's jump into the passage and have a look. Uh, Verse 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. Um, Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. He's a young church leader. And Paul's telling him here, don't get too bogged down in the false teaching that's going on around you. Don't believe it. And actually, don't let it take up too much of your time. You need to focus on your spiritual life, mate. You need to grow yourself. And so his command is, train yourself to be godly. Train. 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 Godliness doesn't happen by accident. It's a result of training, working hard. We probably all know what training looks like. Most of us have probably played a sport or done something uh, that requires training, music or whatever at some point in our lives. But training is practicing a skill over and 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 over again until you get good at it, right? I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Sport. Classic example for training. As soon as you think you're training, you think of sport. Uh, say you watch a game of football and you're impressed by the amazing skills on display by these, these elite athletes on the football field. And you're like, I reckon I'm just going to just jump the fence, run out on the field and wait till that 120 kilo guy's running. I'm going to stand in front of him and tackle him because I'll be able to do that. I've watched enough games. I know I'll be able to do it, right? Would anyone do that? No, right? You wouldn't. You'd know that it's stupid. you know you'd end up in a wheelchair or uh, actually the bouncers would get you before you got far enough onto the field. But uh, you wouldn't do that. It's, it's ludicrous. We know that that's not how it works. Music, another one, right? Uh, you need to train and get and practice to get good at music. I went and saw one of the sickest concerts of my life the other night, Apocalyptica. 
Uh, it's four cellists that play Metallica songs. Epic. So good. Seriously, at the Opera House, the main auditorium in the Opera House, right? I'm a huge Metallica fan, um, and so was everyone else there. And um, I came home pumped, right? And so I just went and grabbed my cello. Oh, no, I don't have a cello. Um, <laughs> do you think I cruised down to more music the following day and like, ah, oh, got any cellos? Uh, and just sat there and put, had a concert, sold tickets, sat there on stage trying to play Metallica on a cello? I wouldn't. I would, as much as I'd love to, I wouldn't. Because I understand that to actually do something like that, you need to practice, you need to work hard, you need to, you need to try and make an effort to be good at it. I think about marriage. This is one Daniel Leach mentioned to me the other day. You see a very happy couple, a couple that seem to have a great relationship. They communicate really well, they get along really well, they're like best friends but still madly in love. And you look at that and you think... Oh, I'm just going to go find a random person on the street um, <laughs> because they look hot and then we'll, we'll have a relationship like that. Actually, maybe some people do enter marriages with that expectation, uh, but that's not true, right? We understand that any intimacy takes a lot of hard work and a lot of effort and a lot of training and work to get to that point. You wouldn't run out a sporting field and tackle someone without knowing what you're doing. You wouldn't get up in front of a crowd and try to play a cello without knowing what you're doing. And you wouldn't enter a... a, a, a a relationship like marriage without having to go and knowing what you're doing. But we do it with our Christian faith. Yes, we are filled with God's spirit, but nowhere in God's word are we told just to be passive and sit back and, and let it happen, right? In fact, this passage is telling us the opposite. Train. Train. Like an athlete will spend hours and hours honing a particular skill or a, uh, repeating a sp- particular movement, we need to cultivate repetitive spiritual practices in our lives that centre us on Jesus and equip us uh, with the skills and tools we need to make the most of our faith. You see, you watch a great athlete and you see their uh, movements and responses and and, and they're so good that it seems automatic. Uh, They just know how to play a certain shot or they know how to uh, sidestep at the right time or they know which wave to pick. That it's not accidental, It's not instinctual. It comes from hours and hours of repetitive practice that changes their responses, that changes uh, their automatic uh, responses to things. And the same can be applied to our spiritual lives. Does anyone remember uh, WWJD bracelets? Put your hand up if you had a WWJD bracelet. Oh, what about a bumper sticker or maybe something or, right? W, if you don't know, it stands for what would Jesus do, right? And these, these were pretty cool. They, they were sort of phasing out just when I became a Christian. Uh, I had one in the year 2000 just for a couple of weeks and then I'm like, yeah, it's not cool. And I took it off. Um, but, but the whole idea of the WWJD bracelet is when you're just living your day to day life and you're, you, 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 someone's upset you at work and you just want to yell at them and you go to yell at them and you happen to glance at your bracelet. What would Jesus do? Right? Or you're in a situation with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you know that you should uh, show self-control, but then you just catch a glimpse of your bracelet and you ask, what would Jesus do? And then you'd do the right thing. Or, or maybe you're driving on the, on the car, in the car on the, on, the, on the freeway and someone cuts out in front of you. And as you go to raise a finger, you catch a glimpse of your bracelet <laughs> and, um, and see what would Jesus do, right? Um, and then it's, it causes you to pause and stop and don't, don't do it. Jesus wouldn't do that, don't you do it. But the problem is, our automatic responses are so automatic that before I've had a chance to look at my bracelet, even if it is on the wrist that I'm raising, uh, it, it's, it's too late. I've already done what Jesus wouldn't do. 
Because it's me, right? Uh, We need to retrain our affections. We need to retrain uh, our lives so that our automatic responses are what would Jesus do? And that only comes from centering our lives intentionally on Jesus, training in godliness. But why? What's the benefit in training in godliness? Paul addresses it, verse 8. He says this, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both this, uh, sorry, for both the present life and the life to come. Physical training is of some value. We know that. That's good. Uh, you should be doing it. But in the end, it's only of some value that godliness is avail- uh, valuable for all things, this life and the next. Now, I think most times as Christians, we've got the next life sorted, right? We understand we're Christians. We've been forgiven. We've been freed from sin. We've been reconciled with God. And we'll be taken to heaven in his presence after we die. We get that, I think, and we look forward to it. And it actually spurs us on and encourages us to know that our eternity is secure. Uh, So it is, godliness is valuable for the next life. but, But what about this life? Do you really get that your faith is meant to be of great value in this life? Do you get that? Your faith is meant to make a massive difference and and, and be present and real and obvious in this life, not just the next. As a Christian, as I said before, you should expect to see the power of God at work in your life, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Are you experiencing it? And I just mean in some sort of miraculous way that you're able to heal people on command or you you speak in tongues or you walk on water or whatever. Those things are fantastic. But... But just in day-to-day life, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous, self-control, we looked at that a few weeks ago. Are you growing in your love for God and others? Are you seeing a growing passion to tell other people about Jesus? Are you more generous uh, than, than you should be and than people around you? Uh, are you just hungry to spend time with God? Because we should expect this as Christians. It, it should really, with the Spirit of God living within us, be part of our lives. And the Scriptures tells us that if it's not happening, then it's because we're not training. Because when Paul says that training in godliness is helpful in all things, he means all things. This means it's valuable in your friendships. Uh, it means it's valuable in your marriages, your workplaces, your emotional well-being, your parenting, your financial management, your social life, your health, the way you love and care for others, your happiness, your fulfilment, your education, and the world around you. Not that if you love Jesus, everything's going to be all right. He doesn't promise that we'll be rich and happy and healthy and everything will go well. No, he still says life's going to suck at times. But, but if you're trained in godliness, if you're centred on Jesus... You have a true sense of what is eternal and what is temporary. And the way you're able to respond and react to the things around you will dramatically change. And this training in godliness is valuable for this life right now. Training in godliness is valuable for all things. What's our motivation? Really important to remember this, right? This is why we labour and strive, Paul says, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. And motivation isn't to score points with God. Uh, we, we know that because we've just gone through Galatians, right? We understand that we are saved uh, by faith, 
uh, in the finished work of Jesus, who lived and died and rose again to grant us a relationship with God, to have his spirit indwell in us so that we can be acceptable to God and live this uh, new life, be born again. We don't do it to score points. We do it as a response to what God has done for us. And as we go through this series, I want you to remember that, that all things we do for God are out of a response for what God has done for us. And that as we struggle along the way and stuff up and do a really ordinary job of everything we try to do for God, that we are safe and secure. He is our Father who loves us and forgives and continues to be patient with us as we try to train in godliness. We do it all as a response. You're saved by faith, not works. But Scripture always shows us that faith brings with it new life. And these words of Paul tell us to train in godliness to labour and strive because of this hope we already have. So, how do we train? Well, it's about centering your life on Jesus. Uh, And the best way to do that is, as I said before, to cultivate habits and practices that will make that happen. Cultivate habits and practices that will help you to centre your life on Jesus. Uh, Like all training, if you want to train for a marathon, it really takes over your life, right? Right? Uh, if you want to be a guitar virtuoso, it takes over your life. If you want to train in righteousness, in godliness, it's going to take over your life. It's going to take blood, sweat and tears and, and effort and time. Um, we're going to call these practices habits of grace. Right? You may have heard of them referred to as spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. We're going to stick with the term habits of grace because for us it will be a constant reminder of why. The habits that we cultivate because of the grace that's being given to us. They're a response to God's love. Habits of grace. Keep that in your mind. What are habits of grace? Well, no doubt you already do some of them. Coming to church, reading the Bible, praying, giving money. Um, but, But for these to take hold in your life, they need to be habitual, constant, repetitious, Back to the athlete analogy, right? I can't step out and expect, expect to beat Serena Williams after watching a few YouTube tutorials on how to return a serve, right? I'm going to have to practice for years before I even get a chance. It takes years of practice and training, but no doubt the thing on your mind, as it is on mine, is like, yeah, sick one, where's it all going to fit in? Which brings me to this room. Has anyone noticed my awesome room? I have a blister on my thumb from painting it. Um, shows how much manual labour I do. Right? Um, so from now until Christmas, from now until Christmas, we'll be preaching through a series called Prepare Him Room. Prepare Him Room. Uh, it's a long Christmas series, right? Uh, I got the title from the line in Christmas Carol, Joy to the World. Probably know it, right? Uh, I'm sure you'll froth on Christmas carols. But there's a line in that carol that says, Let every heart prepare him room. This lyric makes us think of the first Christmas. Mary in labour, wandering the streets of Bethlehem, looking for a place to give birth, but there's no room in any of the local inns. And finally, a kind member of the community welcomes her in and prepares a stable for Mary to bring the Son of God into the world. It's an amazing story. Now think of your heart, right? As we move into Christmas, is there room in your heart for the Son of God? Is there room in your life for the Son of God? And so this room, I don't know, visualising things helps, right? It helps me. This room represents your heart cluttered with misplaced affections and general busyness, right? Uh, To cultivate habits of grace and to let Jesus in, we need to make space. Just as we clear out the space for when grandma's coming to stay, 
or when your wife's coming home from hospital with a baby and you haven't cleared out the spare room yet to put the baby in it. Um, don't do that, by the way. Uh, uh, so, so we want to go on a journey together at 5pm Church to equip and train us in godliness through cultivating habits of grace. And so each week, items from this room will be removed, symbolically removed, as we learn to grapple with different spiritual practices that are going to force them out. Right? We'll remove an item each week as we learn about a spiritual practice that will take its place and offer you a lot more power and grace and life. Here's a glimpse of what we'll be looking at. Each week, we're going to have a look at a piece of clutter in our life and a habit of grace that will replace it. So what we'll be looking at? Food and fasting. Worry and prayer. Media saturation, Bible reading. Identity and rest. Sexualization and purity. Self-talk, meditation. Greed, giving, consumerism, simplicity. These things take up time and energy, right? And you may look at your life and think, I can't afford the time and energy to practice these habits of grace. I get it. But you'll come to see throughout the series that you can't afford not to. Why? Well, because the life and joy that you receive through a deep relationship with Jesus is what you're created for. Uh, and, and anything else is just going to continue to be a poor and empty substitute. As you draw closer to Jesus, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll gain greater vision than what the media gives you, greater fulfilment than food, greater peace than worry, uh, a more stable identity than your career or vocation, deeper intimacy than sex offers, a more beautiful you than even the most positive self-talk can provide, greater power than greed can give you and a fuller life than consumerism. And all this clutter is just taking up space in your head and your heart so that you won't let Jesus in. So the takeaway tonight, train yourself in godliness by cultivating habits of grace. We're going to unpack this over the next 10 weeks. But this week I want you to ask yourself this question, right? Is my faith working? Am I experiencing the power of God in my life? And to what extent? And then take inventory of your life. Have a look at your room. What do you need to clear out to make space? Some resources... Uh, There's two books that are good, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Celebration of the Disciplines. I'll stick them up here. You can come have a look. Please don't take them. Uh, But if you want a copy, let me know, and I might do a bulk order if enough people want them. Uh, There'll also be community group studies that'll be going along with it. But at NBC, we we want you to find a deep satisfaction in Jesus. We're not about bums on seats. Uh, We want you to find a deep satisfaction in Jesus. We want your faith to work and to be a blessing to you and the world around you. And so with that in mind, I want you to, I'm going to read to you another one of Paul's prayers from the beginning of uh, Philippians. And as your pastor, I've set a reminder in my phone, I'm committing to praying this for you as a church every single day through the rest of this series, right, for the next 10 weeks or whatever. I want to pray this prayer for you as my church, as Paul prayed uh, for, the, for the Philippians. And maybe you'd like to do the same for you uh, and your church. And here's the prayer. This is my prayer. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippians. My prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen.